written and read by Oliver Gray. Chapter 17 Barry Mort was released from prison within days. Ben didn't know for sure what became of him. Maybe Shelley had started a new relationship, possibly with the bloke who answered the door, and Mort now had no home to go to. Or perhaps he hooked up with his old gang and they looked after him. Possibly he stormed into the house in Thurman Road and confronted the new lover. Maybe he attacked him and ended up back in prison. Or it was possible that he was indeed a reformed character. Shelley might have taken him back, and he turned into a responsible family man. Stranger things have happened. But anyway, Ben never found out and didn't really care. His life had moved on, and he wasn't interested in looking backwards. Through emails from ex-colleagues, though, he did find out what had become of the Leightons. The shame and possible fear of reprisals meant that they couldn't possibly stay in Winchester. Diana sold the house in Chilbolton Avenue at a good profit, and moved to a small flat in Eastbourne, where she was able to establish a social life, playing bridge and doing charity work, her reputation unsullied by a past that nobody knew about. The house was demolished, and the spacious gardens were used to construct a block of luxury apartments overlooking the golf course. Diana held on to the student houses, which generated a generous monthly income for her. Rosie and David also had to get away. The small-town gossip and finger-pointing soon became unbearable. Within a year, they had gone into partnership in a successful property business near Dijon in France. They had two more children, and like Diana, were able to lead a relatively normal life. Of course, a dark cloud hung over it, but they were the only ones who knew. In America, Ben had a family, a home, and a job, but it wasn't without its challenges. Corey's posthumous record sales had dwindled to almost nothing. The foundation had come to the end of its natural life, and the yard dog could no longer spare the office space. On re-entering the USA, he'd been subjected to some awkward questioning by the border authorities. He was able to live as a sort of kept man on Lucy's continuing royalties, and did his best to help run her career, but to the frustration of the record company, she wasn't interested in recording a follow-up album. Ben could have become a chauffeur for her, just as she had been for her dad, but a life of gigging wasn't compatible with bringing up their daughter. Lucy's success had come by pure chance, but it wasn't a career she had ever aspired to. She wanted to stay at home, to be a mother, and to paint. Until then, the life and love of Ben and Lucy had been unrealistically idyllic. Now, Robert's confession presented them with the greatest challenge they would ever face. Realistically, the best way to guarantee resident status for Ben would be for him and Lucy to get married, but when he broached the subject, it led to the first and last argument the two of them would ever have. The last time you were planning to marry someone, her father ended up killing my dad. Do you think that showed good judgment by you? Don't be ridiculous. You can't blame Rosie for the actions of her dad. If we're going down that route, let me remind you that the reason he killed Corey was because your father attempted to rape my fiancée. Do you think that's fair? These were cruel and bitter words that arguably would have been better not being aired. But confronting the issue, far from driving them apart, allowed them to reassess their love. They suddenly became aware that little Ally was looking on and listening wide-eyed to the unaccustomed raised voices. Ben's eyes met Lucy's and in that moment they knew they would be together forever. Damn it! It's the curse of Xander causing trouble again. There was a twinkle in Ben's eyes as he said the ridiculous words. How would Lucy respond? Ungrateful bastard! After all we've done for him! The two of them laughed, embraced, 
and brought little Ali into a family hug. They weren't responsible for their family's failings, and together they would forge a new and stronger life for themselves. Within months, their wedding had taken place, a quiet event which is carried out for a laugh in a tacky chapel in Las Vegas, complete with Ali as bridesmaid and an Elvis impersonator carrying out the ceremony. Back in Austin, Ben, now armed with his green card, started a postgraduate course at the University of Texas that would qualify him to teach English to Hispanic immigrants seeking to improve their language skills. He was a natural teacher, and working with adults was far more intellectually rewarding than coping with the spoilt brats of Winchester. One more matter had to be confronted. Ben's parents had become increasingly old and frail, and as their only son there were responsibilities that Ben had to shoulder. His father had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and he and Ben's mother were both living in a care home in Sidmouth on the Devon coast. They had been forced to sell the family home in Chew Magna, and the exorbitant care home fees had already eaten up almost all the revenue from the house sale. In the end, word came from his mother that his father had passed away. Coming to terms with this awful news, he asked Lucy and Ali to accompany him once more to carry out a sad duty in the UK. Sidmouth in May sounded quite appealing, but the reality was less so. While Lucy and Ali spent a few days in London, Ben helped his mother to arrange the funeral and work through all the bureaucracy of probate. She was very unwell herself, exhausted from dealing with her husband's illness and traumatised by her loss, and in the end, she didn't survive her husband by many months. Ben had the idea of taking Ali to show her Bradford on Avon, but it turned out to be an unrewarding visit, and one which reinforced the wisdom of committing himself to life in the USA. He hadn't received any replies to his emails to Phil Clark for months, and the explanation, as they got off the train, was plain to see. The narrowboat was boarded up, adorned with a planning application to turn it into apartments. Of his old friends there was no sign. The canal restoration project had long since been completed, and they had all moved on. Before they returned to Texas, Ben had one more thing he wanted to show his family. He would always remember the place where he'd made the fateful decision to cancel his wedding to Rosie, withdraw his job application, and commit himself to Lucy. He wanted Lucy and Ali to experience the Dorset area's legendary artistic heritage, the novels of Thomas Hardy, the music of Robert Fripp and P.J. Harvey. He told them about the myth that, if you were lucky, you might bump into Harvey in the Hope and Anchor, or one of the other quaint Bridport pubs. It didn't happen, of course, but one morning they had a vegetarian breakfast in the famous Hive Café on Burton Bradstock Beach, and took a secret peek at Billy Bragg's house nearby. On the last afternoon, Ben drove the hire car down the tiny lane to the Anchor Inn at Seatown. He wanted the family to experience the glory of the cliffs at Thorncombe Beacon, with its incredible views over Lime Bay to the west and Chesil Beach to the east. It was a long, hard climb, and Lucy, now pregnant with their second child, puffed to the top and sat for a moment on the bench by the beacon to recover her breath. The infinite ocean stretched away to the horizon as the waves crashed onto the shingle beach below. In a strange way, it reminded them both of the joyful day at the oasis in Lake Travis, where Lucy and Ben's relationship had been so new and thrilling. Now it had developed into something much stronger, their shared experiences binding the family together. Standing with her loved ones in this magical spot, the inspiration over the years for so much poetry, art and music, Lucy felt, for the first time in years, a song beginning to stir in her heart. Maybe, just maybe, a follow-up to In the Deep Dark Woods would finally be recorded.
Waves washing over my life. Come and wash over me. The words popped fully formed into her mind. The curse of Xander had finally been washed away. Xander and Oliver's other books are also available in print and Kindle editions. For more information, head to olivergray.com. This audiobook was a DC 10 Tonight production.